Hi, I am Tingan, and this is the Parents in Tech Podcast. Welcome to Season 2, where we interview dads who are technology company leaders based in Southeast Asia. After hearing from moms in Season 1, now it's time to speak to dads who are raising kids while striving in their careers. Let's find out the stories, challenges, and advice they have for us. In this episode, we speak to Mark, Head of Enterprise Sales and Cryptocurrency for Stripe in Southeast Asia. Mark started his career in media and advertising before spending a decade building and leading Mintel, a market intelligence firm in Asia Pacific. Mark is passionate about coaching and building high-performing teams, and is a father of three, a twin boy and girl, age six, and a newborn. Hey Mark, welcome to the Parents in Tech show. To begin with, could you tell us a bit more about your family? Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Where to start? I'm the dad of initially twins who are Harrison and Emily. They're both six years old, Mm -hmm. but we have a newborn with us. So we've just increased the family by 50% with, well, not me, me and my wife have increased the family by 50% with the addition of Sophia, who is three months old and keeping us very busy. So yeah, we're a family of three kids and my wife is Justine. I couldn't have done it without her. She's the rock of the operation and keeps everything going. Beautiful. So that is a beautiful. There's so much that I want to go into there already. But first and foremost, I have to ask, how did you meet Justine, your wife? So kind of an interesting story. You could call it fate or you could call it laziness. But I met Justine my first night out in Sydney. So I decided as a 26 year old to just pack my bags and move to Australia. Having lived in London before that, I was on my first night out and I spotted Justine and she ignored me. <laughs> I took to mean that she was playing hard to get, but it turns out she was actually just ignoring me. But I enjoy a challenge. And a few months later, we got together and we've been together ever since. And we've got our 10-year anniversary actually coming up. Wow, congrats. So there we go. That's going to be exciting. Thank you, mate. Okay, so when did children come into the picture? The conversation about mm. how many children do you want? When do you want to have children? How did that conversation come about? Well, to bring some colour to that conversation, it was always... I was always on two and my wife was always on three. So you can kind of see who won that (laughs) in the end, but I'm glad she did. Um, We'd always, I think we aligned very early on on our family values and how we wanted our lives to go. So I think the conversation, it was never kind of a sit down Hmm. conversation of this is the date and this is the time, but we both kind of just knew, we felt that something was possibly missing, that we were looking for the next stage of our relationship and children inevitably was the part of that. And we felt that that was an important part an important milestone that we both agreed that we wanted to take. We weren't quite ready for twins, but that's a whole nother story that sort of changed things in how we were looking at planning a family. I'm going to go right into that. (laughs) So when did you realize in the pregnancy journey and what was your first reaction? So it's interesting. We went for our scan and being a, this was my first time, we were looking on the monitor and the doctor was looking and he said, he actually said, oh, he did a scan. I said, oh, that's weird. Why are there two dots on there? Yep. And the doctor was like, hmm. And I was like, oh, I know, because there's like two things. And I was trying to kind of compartmentalize this as normal. So I was trying to reassure the doctor. I know it, the two become one, I think, and then it's going to become a baby. And he was like. So you became the doctor. <laughs> I became the doctor. The doctor was in silence. My wife was silent. They both knew what was going on. And I was just ambling around trying to sort of go back to my GCSE biology and figure it all out. Then he said, oh, I think you might have two. There might be two in here. And then there was kind of silence on the walk home with my wife. 
it was just such a shock because I think, I mean, you know, as a dad, you've kind of got a preconceived idea of how your life is going to go and exactly what it's going to be. And then suddenly these changes come in and your whole journey changes. Suddenly we were going to be twin parents from just what we'd imagined. And I remember I was with my wife and we were walking home and, I was, and she was silent because I think it was just a shock. Right. So I went online and I was looking up best things about having twins. I was like, I'm going to just throw this at her. Yep. And the first one was people will look at you with such respect for the hard work that, you're, that you put in. I thought, oh, that maybe is not the best one to lead with. Then the second one was just think how cute Halloween costumes are going to be. <laughs> and then the list went a bit, it got worse from there. So I was like, so I said that to my wife and she just looked at me and she was like, we're in for a big ride here. And she was absolutely right. Wow, that sounds like an incredible story to tell. But maybe <laughs> yeah. describe a bit about the emotions that mm. you and of course your wife felt. Was it more excitement, fear, anxiety? Of course, probably a mix of those, but how would you best describe it looking back? Being first time twin parents, there was a kind of an element of naivety which got us through that. So mm. we didn't really know what was entailed. Everyone told us it would be hard. Yep. We were very excited to be having twins, but we were very daunted by the task of mm. how are we going to manage everything from my wife is, is working in banking at the time. Yeah. I had a busy job where I was traveling around. How are we going to manage this yeah. as a team and as a partnership? Mm. We knew it would put us under an element of strain. Yep. So I think, yeah, we were very excited. We, were, we felt very blessed that we had healthy, happy children that were on the way. Yep. But there was a healthy dose of concern about how we were going to manage it. Absolutely. And a lot around, because a lot of the preparation goes assuming that you have one child at a time. Yes. But now you have to prepare two of everything. And also the part where you mentioned about balancing careers, your travels. So what were perhaps some of the changes that you mm -hmm. had to make on the work front in preparation or upon arrival of your two daughters? Well, it's so easy to look at it now. Girl. Yeah. We nailed it. We got it perfect. I didn't get it right, actually, at the beginning. I tried to keep every element of my life mm. as is. So I tried to sort of wedge this giant change into a normal career. And I think at the time, on reflection, having just clearer, cleaner boundaries would have been much better. So just more planning around my travel, how I was going to think that through, how I was going to agree that mutually <laughs> within the business versus what was required versus where I was required at home. So prior to children, the home didn't really have a huge amount of voice in my career. Everything's career led and we would adjust. I don't know if you found something similar. Yeah. And then suddenly that changes where you have to bring the home into your career and you have to find that balance. And it really depends on your manager at times. I find that if you've got a manager that's also had to make that adjustment, they're possibly more understanding yep. than a manager that hasn't. And that comes with with its own challenges. Exactly. So I completely identified that. In fact, that was one of the reasons why I started this podcast because I was just assuming work would get as per normal and almost like it's a hobby. Yes. Kids, <laughs> you slot them in, your free time, your after work, but we realized that absolutely wasn't the case. Yeah. Yeah. You talked a bit about boundaries, Mark. How do those boundary settings look like over the past six years because you say of course at the start perhaps that yeah. was something that we are all new to we had to figure out but of course over the past six years you have grown how have those grown on my calendar every day i will block out my time for dinner with my children i will block out those moments yep. i still feel guilty about doing it yeah. just because that's how i've been programmed but i will block out that period for the time with kids i will commit to wherever possible doing their bedtime and bath time and getting them on the bus in the morning nice what we've agreed is what are the must-haves for the kids that they get enough time mm. with me and with my wife? Yep. And what can I then structure around that? Whereas I think if I look back six years, it was probably more fluid. 
I would have less of a routine because I was moving around trying to keep all parties happy. Mm. So I think that structure, just that planning has helped enormously. And also I've noticed with our kids themselves, they then know when I'm working and when I'm dad. Yeah. And I'm sure you know this. There's just inherent guilt as a parent constantly. Yes. It's a black box. You could absolutely always do more when it comes to being a dad or a parent. Yeah. You could spend that extra five minutes. And I've had to be comfortable in myself that it's enough. It's okay what I'm doing. And actually the quality of what I do is more important than the quantity. Looking back on relationships with your own parents, it's just those small moments. Some of them wasn't anything mind-blowingly big. It wasn't going to like Universal Studios or that time. It was just something small that you remember. Like I remember my dad driving me to a swimming lesson. Wow. And just having a chat with him and that and that's what stuck with me. And so that's the kind of stuff that I think we become guilty that we've got to create these amazing life-changing experiences for our kids and it's actually the more mundane stuff that they remember when you were just present and there for them yeah i fully agree with that it's so true it's those small moments that count often i guess pre-covid there's this temptation to spend lots of money go for holidays and all that and that's great but i think really what brings those memories those relationships it's the small things that we do every day so you talked a bit about that special moment you shared with your dad to swimming lesson Tell me about what those special moments look like with you and your family. It's probably the quieter moments. You know? It's like, okay. so for me, coming down and I find my kids are sitting, like, <laughs> it's not always like this, but no, they're reading the book. My, my wife's there maybe with our baby and we're all just kind of calm and settled. Mm-hmm. That's a really nice moment. Getting outside, going for our walks along the beach or yep. going off to a park with our dog. Yeah, I didn't mention actually we've got a dog called Nacho, who was another COVID decision that joined the family. So I think it's nothing out of the ordinary for us. It's just those moments where you can all be together. And honestly, if you can avoid having a phone there, if you can just sort of try and be present, I think that makes it really special. It's so tough, but my phones, I think it's one of those things that just always and the notifications that pop up, the emails to check, it's so tough. (laughs) Yeah, because you want to take photos. You've got your phone there with you and then suddenly... You're going taking a photo and you see a message and then you're looking at <laughs> your son and daughter, they're saying something to you and you're off again. Yeah. My kids have got this saying, which is they call people phone zombies. So they're like, don't be a phone zombie. Yeah. They're finely tuned to try and spot me when I turn into a phone zombie where I kind of switch off. And that helps also to keep me in line. Nice. Over the past six years, it must have been a joy to raise your two daughters. You are actually the first parent I've interviewed on the podcast as twins. So you have to tell me yes. how different or how similar are they as time goes by sorry i've got an infant daughter and i've got a boy and a girl twin oh okay a boy and a girl twin okay got it yes so in singapore i've learned a very handy phrase when getting into grabs which is long fong thai which it means yes. phoenix and dragon this is very lucky over here in singapore yeah there's something quite cool that there's a good thing about twins which is you realize because you parent them in the same way and they're incredibly different yep you realize where your influence starts and where it stops which is because you've got two different outcomes, you realize, hey, this isn't entirely on my parenting when things go right and when things go wrong. Right. There's things that you're trying to help them with. Hmm. Naturally, as a parent, you're like, oh, this is my fault. I did this because I was worried about X or Y. I've put this on them. And you do realize there's just inherent traits in their character that they come with. So they are very, very different. My daughter is very carefree and artistic and fun and is someone who does something and worries about it later. Hmm. My son is very... He's a planner and thinker and really likes to work through things and understand things in their entirety before he'll move forward. Hmm. So they look at things very differently. And 
inevitably get on brilliantly or fighting like cats and dogs when I come down at other times. That's wonderful. And it's almost incredible to hear. Same parenting style. They were born on the same day, but yet they have so different kind of personalities. Yeah. What are some of the things that you and your wife do to really help them to grow, to express? And also, I guess the next question is about the challenges because managing two at the same time, it is tough. Yeah. And it's so easy to come off on these things that you've got it nailed because you give the perfect answer and it's not always practical or reasonable. I think one of the things that we've always tried to instill is trying not to always answer their questions, Mm. but get them to think of the answer. So we'll try and work through things with them quite a lot. So that's just an instinct we both built up like, hey, why do you think that is? And we'll give them the guidance. It's not that we'll leave it hanging there, but just getting them to think things through first. We also really early on, we made can't a banned word in the household. So can't is a banned word. Then we force them to change it. And this is from a very young age to how can I? Mm. So they don't say, I can't, I can't reach that glass. We ask them to say, how can I reach that glass? Yeah. And it's really, I think that has actually had a big impact on them. It's one of the few things we really stuck with and follow through with them. Yeah. And just changing that mindset of solutions versus a fixed mindset. It's, I think, something that helps kids in today's world enormously as they venture out into the world. So those were a couple of things that we did that I think have worked really, really well. Yeah, I'm going to stay on that just for a moment because I think that it's so small, but it's so powerful Mm. because it really shifts the mindset of almost Mm. calling things out as what it is, sometimes accepting things as they are versus Mm. taking ownership and figuring out how can you go about doing that. I'm curious, how did you and your wife come to this? Did you read it somewhere? Did it just occur in your conversations? Did you get inspired somewhere? Well, it's interesting. So I heard my son, he kept saying, I can't do And so I didn't necessarily read it, but the philosophy is definitely elsewhere. And the typical thing you'd expect is someone to say, I can do it. Don't say I can't, say you can do it. But I thought actually there's probably a tool in here that can help them. And I work for Stripe, um, you may know as a payments company out here. One of their principles is optimism. Mm. And you can look at optimism as just being very positive about everything that you see. That's not how it's intended and that's not how I look at it. I look at it as seeing problems as temporary. So you see things as I can get through this. I know that something's not easy, but I can figure out a path. And so that for me is a real core value. So I wanted to instill something to help the kids align to that as well. doesn't always work, but it helps. Yeah. And it's almost a drill, rinse and repeat so that it really becomes ingrained. And I'm sure you see that gradually over time, that's the mindset that they adopt. They pull me up on it as well when I say can't as well. They're like, ah! Bad word. Yeah. Wonderful. <laughs> so with the experience of raising twins with the newborn, how has the past three months been? Is it almost, ah, it's a walk in the park. <laughs> oh, so easy. No, it is. It's had its challenges, definitely. Hmm. So there's a six year gap between us. So it felt like being a parent all over again. We were learning it. Right. Um, what has been lovely is the kids have definitely, and you see this in your own house, everyone's role adjusts quite naturally. So the kids have, created room for the newborn they know when we're available when we're not and i think that has worked really nicely and honestly sophia our youngest is just not interested in us as parents all she wants to do is stare at the dog and the kids they are the most interesting (laughs) characters in the house so that makes a huge difference just having all of us parenting in some way yeah and also it has just been very very difficult with Finding that time, we got our routine worked out and then suddenly having to slot in. My wife is very much 24-7 with Sophia, the additional burden to make sure that 
everyone is looked after and everyone gets enough care, I guess. Yeah. And family time is definitely a challenge. Exactly. It continues to be. Yeah. I feel like it's almost like phases and just as how you are settling into one, getting comfortable, then there's a new addition to the family and you got to rejig everything and figure it out again. Yeah. So my father is a family lawyer. Oh, okay. Does a lot around relationships and parents. And, and one of the things he always said to me when I was growing up, which I thought was a fantastic way of looking at a relationship is that people think of marriage as one relationship, but it's actually not. You have about seven relationships within a marriage. Wow. That is not to say that you're doing anything that you shouldn't be doing. What he meant was there's the relationship when you first meet, there's the relationship when you get engaged, there's the relationship when you're newlyweds, where you have your first child and each one is different and the dynamic changes in your relationship. And I also thought that was a really healthy way to look at how relationships do can drift apart, can come back together at different times. And segmenting it in that way, I thought was such a smart way to look at life and relationships. And that pertains to family as well. Absolutely. Yeah. So Mark, I noticed that you have been at Stripe for less than a year. And you know how people always say, yeah. new job, new kid, those things, generally, you try to avoid them. Yeah. Talk to me a bit about that. Was there any concern? What was the thinking behind that? Yeah, it was total madness <laughs> on my part, but not something I could really plan or mitigate mm -hmm. in a sense. So one, Stripe has been incredibly supportive of me with a newborn and making sure that, you know, I can balance things with parental leave and, and other things like that. So Stripe and my manager have been incredibly supportive. Mm. The other side of it is just my wife as well, who has been incredible. And I think that support structure to enable me to throw myself at this job whilst we're sort of working with a newborn mm. has been amazing. We sat down and talked about how we were going to do this. Hmm. What was fair? How do we divide things up? How do I take maybe more of a load off my wife on the weekend? And how do we divide up work? So there was some thinking about it to make sure that there were no surprises. And I think what we learned from the twins as well is that we sort of agree on what our roles are hmm. and try and stick to that as much as possible. Because being a parent, there is this kind of feeling of, it's very hard recognizing each other's role is very difficult. Yes. But everyone feels like they're working incredibly hard. Exactly. Perhaps at times feeling unappreciated for what they're doing. Yep. And so that's really important that we both recognize what each other are doing in this scenario hmm. to support each other. Agreed. So maybe tell us a bit more about how that workload is currently split. Yeah. So in terms of a routine, mm. like I said, during the week, the week and weekend have two different impacts. So yep. we've kind of figured out, I'll get the kids onto the bus, take the dog for a walk, go for a run. Yep. And then I'll pretty much lock myself in my office or go to the office for the day yep. until 5.30 when the kids are home and we'll do dinner time. Yep. My wife in that period is looking after the baby, making sure that she's okay throughout the day. Yep. And then she'll hand over, the baby will go to bed about six o'clock and then I'll get the kids bed and bath time. So at the moment, during the week, I will probably spend a little bit more time with our elder kids and my wife will spend more time with the baby. And then we try and change that up on the weekend where I'll spend a little bit more time with the baby. Nice. And my wife will be a bit more with the kids. That's the general process that we work with, but it works differently for everyone. Yeah. Um, but right now, that's what we've settled on. Gotcha. And I'm curious, when was the decision for your wife to perhaps stop out of the workforce and be at home for the most part? Yeah, so with twins, my wife went back to work after, I think it was after six months. Mm -hmm. That was tough, actually, to sort of get yeah. that stage. They still feel so young to leave them at that point. So that was really challenging. This time around, my wife had actually decided she wanted to take a pause in her career and think about what her next step was, so be very conscious of it. And then actually, Sophia came around. So it wasn't necessarily a conscious choice to stop working for Sophia. Yep. 
her intention would always be to go back to work. And really now it's about just getting the time to actually think about what uh, she wants to do when she goes back. Mm -hmm. But at the moment, it's quite that bringing up a newborn is fairly all encompassing. And that's really our focus for now. Gotcha. That's so fascinating. And Mark, now that you're also in a leadership role at Stripe, how do you think about engineering this idea of work-life balance also for your team? Yeah, so I think it's about empathy. And I've got Mm. certain people in my team that probably don't want that work-life balance. They want to just throw everything at work. And I've got others that are looking for more balance. And I think it's understanding where people sit in their journey. Because I was probably in the former as I was coming through. And then I moved to the latter. And it's not forcing on either party. It's just working with empathy with how people want to balance their lives out. Um, How I look at it is really, and I think working within the guidelines of the company, it's really well balanced in terms of giving people space and time to fulfill those parts of their lives that are crucial outside of work. Hmm. We had a very interesting company talk to us around leadership and they've been training Olympic athletes. What was fascinating about them was the majority of the time when you're working with Olympians is actually a lot of it is focused on recovery, not on the actual training. Yes. And because they're such highly motivated individuals, they will push themselves. Where they need help is winding down. And I think working in tech with such talented people that do push themselves, you don't actually have to do very much pushing. A lot of it is around helping them create boundaries. A lot of it is around helping them also restore and recover Mm. in those periods when they aren't working intently. And I think that's still a bit that everyone needs to get better at, uh, particularly in COVID where you are available 24 hours a day. That has been really challenging, that recovery side of things. Yeah, that's a really fascinating perspective, but one that I can't help but agree. Because a lot of times in tech, naturally the people who join in because of the fast-paced dynamic nature, they already have that energy and their motivation, like you were saying. So yes. your job as a leader is almost to shepherd and to still channel these pools of energy into productive users and making sure that it also doesn't run out or dry out especially i'm sure for the younger folks on your team without families they just want to go full steam seven days a week (laughs) exactly because you want a longer you want to be able to pace your energy and use it in the right way so it's not like my role is to get everyone on sun lounges and then everyone just relax it's more just trying to a part of it is helping them with that recovery and how to pace themselves yeah for a long sprint, yeah. Got it. Now, re- talking about recovery, what is perhaps one or two things that for you yourself, you find your way of recovering? I'm like a, a reluctant exerciser, so I know it's good for me, but <laughs> I have to drag myself to do it okay. every day. So nothing particularly mind-blowing in terms of you know, going for a swim or going for a run or mm. even just walking the dog. Um, I don't know if this is natural with a lot of sales, but there is kind of an introvert side of me that just needs my space. I just mm. need time spend our whole day on I'm in a sales role so we're speaking to people every day we're talking listening and so I find just having even an hour of just silence to myself where I haven't got my phone where I'm just able to just let my thoughts go and that's normally going for a walk Mm. that actually is really powerful for me so much gets done and the other thing and this yeah this is a relatively recent thing I've done is writing a a journal at the end of the day like a short Mm. summary of my day really helps me process and kind of dump what I want to dump onto that so that I have a clear night's sleep and I can recover a little bit in my sleep. Because I think that is also vital that there's some way of decompressing after a really intense day and the kids and everything else. Otherwise, it does build up. 
Exactly. And I think for most of us as introverts, we do need that downtime because talking to people all the time. And for you, sales through especially, literally, are probably your meetings yes. most parts of the day. So you really need that time to recharge and to re-energize. Yeah. My mother-in-law was a teacher and she's just like, crave silence because she's just been attacked by five-year-olds for about 20 years. So I can definitely relate to that. Gotcha. So Mark, also one thing I'm curious is around status quo and stereotypes mm. of parenting, dads versus moms. Tell me maybe of one status quo stereotype that you disagree with and you want to change or do differently. Yeah, I think Peppa Pig has a lot to answer for when it comes to dads. Okay. I think it's changing, but I think there is a perception that dads are somewhat unreliable or potentially make mistakes and are a bit kind of bumbling, I guess. Mm -hmm. And I think the majority of dads I've met do an amazing amount of work. They're not going off in the days of kind of wandering off to the golf club for the weekend, I think, are, are gone for a lot of parents. I think there's equal strains on both now. And I think that is being recognized more and more. But I think that would be my the stereotype of kind of the bumbling dad, Peppa Pig style, not maybe the most kind of effective parent. I think a lot of us do research, we do read, we want to understand and be better parents. We all see this as a real investment in our future. And I think it's not that there's a mums versus dads thing going on, but it's more, I think there is in both sides have an equal role to play. And that's not always presented in discussions or in the media necessarily. I think the media has a huge part to play in that. It's almost like the stereotypical dad. It's yeah. the guy who sits on the couch with a beer in the head and watch, watches a football game. And, well, I um, mean, don't get me wrong. I would love to do that, but I, it's just, <laughs> it is just not going to fly at home, sadly. Yeah. yeah. Also, you also talked about the idea of researching, looking stuff online. So what's perhaps one area that you are curious about right now as a parent? There was a book I'm reading. And I'm just trying to f remember the name of it pertains specifically to sensorial issues within children. I'm just really interested in how things have changed within the school environment. It's called the self, my self-regulated child. I have to check that. Okay. Certain stimuli mm -hmm. can affect children differently to other children. Mm. So whether it's noise or bright lights or too much stimuli. And if you think about a classroom, that's an incredibly noisy, crazy environment. And Looking at it now, some kids will act up in that scenario and actually misbehave and throw themselves around. And when I was a kid at school, those kids would be sent to the back of the room. They would be called naughty. They would go down a very different track. And yep. what's really interesting is this is kind of growing awareness. This isn't a conscious choice by kids to be naughty. It's, it's sometimes a reaction to their environment. And yep. what I'm noticing from the school, well, you know, our kids go to a great school, is that they are adjusting their approach to children that maybe struggle with those kind of sensorial overloads. So it's a really interesting book kind of in understanding where that comes from. There's just a lot more interrogation into why this is happening versus just going, oh, you've got a difficult kid, send them to the back or kick them out of school. And I think that it's a fascinating area for me. Gotcha. And perhaps I know this might be early, but what's one takeaway that you could share with the parents who are listening here from the book? From the book, the takeaway I took is to try your best to understand the behavior, hmm. but without just kicking into the, perhaps the traditional way that we've been raised of where perhaps ego comes into it is my child should not be behaving like this. I wasn't like that. I wasn't raised like that. I would never speak to my dad like that or, or mum like that. Yeah. Those things that inherently come in hmm. that force things that maybe don't help your child actually, it just inflames the situation. The takeaway for me is, if you have a level of empathy of where that behavior is coming from, your response is actually 
probably more beneficial in that scenario. True. The idea to understand and empathize. And I think you pointed out also a very valuable point of not comparing. It's so easy to compare with yourself, your growing up years, or even those of others, those of peers, but that's just unhealthy. Yeah, exactly right. And social media also isn't helpful where you're seeing an Instagram of everyone with perfect buttoned up children that are kind of waving politely. I think it's important that you just run your own race when it comes to parenting. Absolutely. So Mark, if there's one lesson you've learned as a parent in tech, Mm. what would that be? I think I spoke about a little bit earlier, but it's about quality over quantity. Mm. So making sure that those times that you are parenting, you're trying to really add value and make it special not in a blockbuster way, but in a way that is just meaningful to your child, that even if you can only give them 30 minutes a day, that that 30 minutes is high quality and with you and no other distractions. So I think that's it, which is you can't always control your schedule or your availability, but to make sure that when you do have that time, you make the most of it. Got it. Quality over quantity. Yeah. That's a wonderful way to sum up this podcast. Well, for some (laughs) of our audience who would love to connect with you, how can they best do so? Definitely feel free to connect to me on LinkedIn. I'm always happy to make connections and love to meet some of your listeners. Sure. We will include your LinkedIn profile link in the show notes. Well, thanks so much for joining me, Mark, today. It was a real pleasure speaking with you. Thanks so much, Shinin. Thanks for listening to the Parents in Tech podcast with me, your host, Tsingen. We hope you were inspired on how to raise kids and build companies. To catch up on earlier episodes or stay updated with upcoming ones, head over to www.parents.fm to join our community of parents in tech. There, you can also drop me a question, idea, feedback, or suggestion. Once again, the website is www.parents.fm. That's all for this episode, folks. See you next time.